guys, welcome to Humans of Magic, the podcast that goes deep into the lives of our favorite magic players and personalities. Every episode, I sit down with a guest and try to have an interesting conversation with them. But, unlike your standard podcast, we're not talking only strategy and how to build decks to win the next tournament with. No, sir. Yeah, there might be a bit of strategy talk in there. But the goal is to go deep. What makes each player who they are? How do they get into the world of magical competition and sling cardboard? And what have they learned about themselves over the years? This is a journey into the players themselves, and I hope that you'll come along for the ride. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. My name is James Sue, and I've been a competitive magic player for a long time. I recently wrote a book about my experiences called Magic the Addiction. Yeah, I was really into the game to the point where I had to evaluate whether it was good or bad for me. I am happy to say, however, that it turned out okay, and it was really good for me to document what I went through. But after finishing my project, I thought, well, why don't I turn the lens towards my fellow players? So this is it. You're listening to it. Humans of Magic. I hope you enjoy the ride. I guess we'll just get right into it. Bob, how's it going, man? It's going great. How are you doing, James? I am good. Thank you so much for making the time to do this today. Yeah, no problem. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, so uh, what's been going on with you recently, man? I know you just got back from a big trip, but uh, you know, other than that, I mean, how, how's, how's life been? Uh, pretty great. Yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, I was backpacking in Southeast Asia for about two and a half months. So that was like June through early September. And I just got back, kind of get back in, getting back into the swing of things. I've been working, uh, getting back into that, which has been a little bit of a transition. But overall, things have been good. Yeah, I saw that you recently wrote an article on Channel Fireball again. Is that something that you're looking to do uh, more regularly from, from this point? Yeah, on? yeah. I, like, I took a big hiatus. I don't even know how long that I didn't write an article for, but it, it's been a while. I think for me, I always felt like if I had something interesting... Uh, to write about and could like really like deliver or like teach my reader something that I would go for it because um, I, I always felt that there were some writers out there who like you know it's not really their fault that they have to write every week but then if you do have to write every week sometimes you need to like stretch it and find things that might not be like as interesting so for me I like that I get the freedom to kind of like write when I want and I also think like the legacy community like has been lacking a little bit. Like I know Carson Cotter and Caleb Durwer, they used to write awesome articles every week um, that I would really look forward to, and neither of them do that anymore. So I'm gonna like try to, you know, take up the mantle a little bit. I'm gonna shoot for an article a month because um, I think an ar- an article a month I could probably manage, um, and I have a bunch of different topics I want to cover. So we'll see how it goes. Why do you think that is? Like you mentioned that like it used to be, in your opinion, better in terms of legacy writing, and it it feels like legacy is supposed to be more popular now, or or it hasn't gone down in popularity, but at the same time, there's, uh, you know what I mean? Like there's more content out there, but it to me it also feels like the the quality of the content isn't as good as in the past. Why do you think that is? So a couple different things you touched on. Um, so one big thing I think is. I don't think Legacy is necessarily less popular. Maybe it's slightly less popular than I would say. The peak might have been like you know Grand Prix New Jersey, where there were like over four thousand people, and it was still like the featured second format on the Star City circuit. And I think in many parts of the world, like Europe most prominently, and also Japan now, Legacy is super popular um, and as popular as it ever was. Um, but I do think because the coverage has shifted, like most notably SCG has shifted to modern, like modern is definitely, in my in my view at least, the the, the most popular format actually. it's I would say it's even more popular than standard. People I talk to are always super excited about modern. Um, so I think almost modern has a usurped Legacy's throne in terms of um, the most popular constructed format. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's 
Yeah. Oh, sorry, I know that you play, uh... Actually, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna say I play Grishelbrand in Modern? No, no, I just mean that... I was just trying to just confirm. You play all the formats, right? Like, you just play... I know you play Modern and Legacy, but you, you play, like, just huh. about everything? Is that is that the case? So, there was a period in my life where I was, like, alright, let's, let's go deep, let's play all the formats, let's get on the Pro Tour circuit, let's see how I can do. But, but I've since scaled back, and now I'm back to only playing Legacy... So I haven't touched modern in maybe like five months or so. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I mean two two and a half of those months you were traveling, right? So it's kind of hard to play magic during that time. Right, so. right. Yeah. yeah, and actually that was on purpose. I I needed a little bit of a break from magic. I wasn't playing that much before I left, but even still, I was I was still thinking about it a lot, and uh, I just kind of wanted a little bit of a break. Maybe we can kind of backtrack a little bit. We'll get back to the the trip you took because I think that's super fascinating I want to get into that in a in just a little bit but maybe we could start from the beginning just kind of first of all I I'm sort of in awe of talking to you because like I am a legacy player uh, albeit a very casual one and I have read and enjoyed your I guess your quote unquote work over the <laughs> over the years like, <laughs> in terms of tournament results in terms of your connection to some of the 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 players in the legacy who I have a lot of respect for and I also remember you did some podcasts in, in the past for Everyday Interno and other things like that with my friend Matt Pavlik so I didn't have a chance to actually talk to you directly until now so I guess this is kind of like the part where I say it's it's an honor to talk to you and <laughs> just just to kind of for our listeners I would love just to kind of go to your past and maybe you can tell me a little bit about your background where you grew up and sort of like how you started playing magic if you will. Yeah, definitely. I love to talk about that. So I was born in China, but I moved to the U.S. at a young age. But I, I've always been, um, you know, heavily influenced by my family. My grandparents lived with me when I was little. So we actually we moved a lot around a lot. But since age eight, I've been living in the Boston area, um, and that um, is sort of where my magic beginnings happened. Um, it was elementary school in fifth grade. I had a best friend at the time, um, and we actually we got to know each other like. I don't even remember, but I, somehow we talked about the video game Myst. I don't know if you ever played that. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was like a super interesting like puzzle game, and so we were like both super into it as like fifth graders, and then my friend's like, oh, yeah, I play like this other game that's like really interesting. It's called Magic, and so my friend Clint taught me how to play, and it was just super fun game. Just I loved buying booster plaques, and like, you know, I was always really competitive, even even at a young age. I would say like, even in like elementary school, junior high, I like started going online, uh, reading forums, reading deck lists. So my friends would come with these like casual decks, and I would look up. Oh, it looks like this goblin deck is really good. I'll like I'll just build it. And so I like I would build it, but without like the money rares or whatever. And I would just like destroy my friends. So ever since a young age, I've always been a uh, you know a person to kind of like do research and like try and get an edge. Why do you think that is? Like, was it having to do with maybe sibling rivalry or something in the family? Like, why why do you think you were so competitive at such a young age? I guess that's just part of who I was. So I had a younger sister, but she definitely doesn't play Magic. I don't know, just like some part of me really enjoys competing. And um, that's actually one one reason I got into the competitive scene as well. It was kind of like... All through my life, I was, you know, the, the classic type A Asian student, studied really hard, got good grades, and then it was like once I, I hit a certain point where I, I don't know, I, I like needed more beyond just like doing well in school, and so I wanted to, you know, do well in magic, and that was, competing was like the next logical extension for me. Right. And can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in in Boston? I know this is kind of going into sort of a a non-magic topic, but it's it's a big part of your life, right? So, I mean, what was it mm-hmm. like growing up with your your friend and and in that area? Um, so, I grew up in a town called Acton, a suburb of Boston, and I would say like it was sort of the prototypical New England suburb. Like, you know, I, it was very very sheltered. I grew up very very privileged, and then, I mean, from that, there's a lot of good and bad. Acton's actually been in the news lately due to some recent suicides. Like it's, it was a very like, in many ways, it was a very high pressure environment where like success was seen as you know quote unquote like getting into an Ivy League college for example, and so in many ways it was it taught you how to work hard, which I really value. But then it also 
did put some undue pressure on a lot of people um, living in that community. So, yeah, and, and obviously, like, with my type A Asian upbringing, um, I think my dad was also, like, really hard on me. So, I don't know, a lot of that, I don't know if it really shaped... It definitely shaped who I am as a person. I don't know that it necessarily shaped who I am as a Magic player. Yeah, did you have that pressure sort of growing up to get into a, a good college and all that stuff then? Yeah, yeah, and I did, and, and I, I did do all that. I went to Dartmouth, which is an, a wonderful school uh, that I, I went to with Jarvis, actually. So I did do all of that, but now that I'm, you know, quote-unquote, more free, I've, like, come more to terms with myself and, like, realize, like, you know, what I need isn't necessarily that and so I don't know I've been very happy in the past uh, year or two of my life where I think I've like saw through some of the pitfalls that I used to uh, you know fall into right so I mean you you played magic casually and then you look up the deck list online like a competitive spike when did you first move into competitive play and actually playing in tournaments so I actually first got my DCI number when I was studying abroad in Paris and there it was like, so I was I was doing a study abroad in Paris, but for the most part I was with other Dartmouth students. I didn't get to meet that many locals, so I really wanted to go out and meet local people, like learn their stories. Um, and so when I first actually got into it, um, got my DCI number in Paris, I like didn't really know what I was doing. Like yeah, I had like read some articles before and like built some decks, but I never actually you know went to the tournament to compete. So it was just like. Uh, I, you know, when I first started out, I had no expectations of like trying to win or whatever. I just was like, "Oh, cool! I'm going to get a DCI number, meet some French people, and like play this thing I really used to enjoy." But then, you know, it just it snowballs from there. Like it gets addictive. Like the more you get into it, the more you want to get good at it. And I was doing decently, like not great results by any stretch. But then, uh, it just really made me want to play more and more. And at that time, so I was playing. Um, played like a little bit of standard but I also played legacy and I got to play my sweet affinity deck um, which is like a deck I grew up playing against my friends back in like junior high um, so it was kind of cool just like being able to use those cards again in legacy because I think affinity also it like just won an open um, so I built that deck and then I went out and played it and was doing decently with it so it was just like you know as you win like the feeling of winning is just so addicting that it kind of just snowballed and I got into it more and more Right, so I'm trying to under, I'm trying to figure out like what around what year was this that you start you got your DCI number and started playing in tournaments? Um, so it was 2011. Wow. Okay, so it wasn't really that long. I, I had I had assumed that you've been playing Magic for like 15 years, which I guess you might have been, but not competitively, right? Right. So my first booster pack back in elementary school, I think it was Odyssey, but then I guess it wasn't until like yeah, Mirrored and Besieged that I got my DCI number. But I I did I did actually briefly play semi-competitively before 2011 um, in terms of there was a online league actually that was super cool it was called Magic League and I know a lot of good players from there I think Jarvis used to play there I know PV used to play there as well mm -hmm. and I actually used to play them when I was like a little kid and I guess they were probably just like teenagers it's kind of crazy right no DCI number required right you just play online and uh... yeah yeah nice alright so you, you, you start playing in Paris you get to know some of the locals um, and then you go back to the U.S. because uh, you're only studying there temporarily, right? And then, mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about the scene that you became kind of regular, regularly part of, and and who you met, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, so when I went Paris was um is my sophomore year of college, and so when I, when I went back to the states, I actually basically put down magic. I did pick it up again my senior year when I like graduated early, but for the most part I put it down because um, there, I didn't have that many friends at school who played, and I I think I also at the time like I saw it as sort of like a nerdy thing to do. Like I <laughs> I wouldn't I would I like I wouldn't go out of my way to hide it from people, but I wasn't like You're not gonna trying to it, right? like yeah yeah exactly. Um, so I mostly put it down, and then it wasn't until I graduated from uh, from Dartmouth. That I moved to Northern Virginia, and I I knew uh, Dan Signorini lived here, so I just reached out to him on the source, and he was like, "Yeah, we play at this store called Curio Cavern," and that's where I think uh, like it really got it got started. Yeah, I mean, is that kind of where you got really into Legacy? Because Dan's a pretty hardcore Legacy player, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So before that, um, I mean, I did. 
Uh, I did have some like decent results when I was playing in Paris, and I actually also so I, I studied abroad in Paris, and then I interned in London. I was playing a little bit of Magic there. I had some pretty good results there, um, but then and then that was in Legacy, and I like decided I wanted to focus on Legacy just because you know it was the coolest format. It had like older cards, um, and so getting and meeting Dan, like going to Curio that first time. I think there were like 37 people, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. There's like so many cool people. And it's like a big crowd, and it's highly competitive. Uh, I just I loved all of that. Right. So you're, I mean, at that at that time you've already graduated. I assumed you moved there maybe for a job or something like that. Is that is that the case? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, that's right. Okay. And then um, is that I, I guess you? I mean, you see thirty-seven people. That's that's amazing, by the way, for <laughs> for any legacy uh, local tournament. Yeah. And. And, and then what happens there? And then, I mean, you, did you get to meet more people and kind of get more exposed to the scene and, and even... Yeah, so I got scene? to know, like... Yeah, I think you had Damon on as well, and they talked about how, like, the Nova crowd is just so unbelievably welcoming. Like, everybody goes way out of their way to, uh, you know, help friends in need, like, you know, whether it's for rides or needing a deck. Like, the community was just so incredible, um, and I got to know all the competitive players within that community because I was competitive. Um, and I, I just learned so much from them. And it was sort of almost like watching like them win and like learning from them. Um, that um, Especially Dan in particular, like he played so much Delver. I picked it up myself. Um, and then that's <laughs> been my uh, the deck I've been known for since. Yeah, so I, I guess if you could look back at that time, were there specific generalizable lessons that you kind of learn about how to play Magic? I, mean, I assume that the lessons are not just for Legacy, but just Magic as a whole. Do you remember, like, what were some of the, the key things you learned that kind of made you level up to where you are now? Um, yeah, that's a tough question. Because um, I feel like everybody, like, improves at Magic in their own way. Like, I don't think it's necessarily a linear path. So for me, it was really just... Um, like, I think I understood the concepts well enough. I think mostly it was just, like, getting the practice through repetition and then talking to other good players, talking about card choices, deck ideas. Um, like, the discussion really, uh, you know, helped me personally. Okay, so just discussing and the grind, as it were. Like, just, just playing games and, and, and watching others. Is that fair to say? Yeah, exactly. And I would say, like... You know, when I, you know, it's so hard to put my finger on, like, quote-unquote, when I got good, if, if such a thing exists, because um, I still think I have a lot to learn, even in terms of playing Delver well. Um, so, it's, I think it's just, like, a slow and gradual path. There wasn't really, like, one secret um, by any means. Were there people that you, I mean, it doesn't even have to be during that time, it could be even now, or... Um, Any time in your in your magic playing life, I mean, were there people that really helped you improve your game and how you look at the game and things like that? Maybe mentors, if if you will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I already mentioned, Dan. Um, it's weird. So like, I guess again, maybe my answer for this isn't what you would expect, but it's it's like learning to get better at magic. Like, it's just from so many different sources. It's from reading articles. It's from practicing getting lots and lots of games in so I don't think I necessarily had a mentor who like taught me what was good and I think I honestly like figured a lot out like by myself slash you know through playing with other people but I wouldn't really single anybody out but I I would say the big thing I learned from that crowd was really just how to treat people like you know I talked a little bit about how welcoming everybody was but you know so so you've heard you've heard about Dan I'm sure uh, you've heard about like Damon, like a lot of people who are who compete and are really strong. But there's so many other players like in that community that I deeply, deeply respect. Like Jeff McAleer is a name you probably haven't heard of, um, but he is like the community dad. Like he hosts like weekly like cube drafts, like legacy playtesting, um, and he just goes way out of his way. Like one time, uh, have you heard of uh, David Gearhart? Yes. Yeah, so Gearhart used to be a, an old-time legacy player, but Gearhart's, you know, in our friend circle, and he got seriously injured uh, in a motorcycle accident. And then Jeff was like, "Hey, I know you're. It's like not really like convenient for you um, right now. So like, why don't you just like live with me and my wife for like a few months, or, or I don't remember how long it was, but it was just like way above and beyond like the call of friendship." Yeah. Um, 
and like they they like took care of him. It was just it's just seeing things like that like that moved me way more than like you know playing some cardboard well okay. ever could. So it was like a true community. It sounds like people like Jeff like Jeff were extremely generous like on a personal level, right? Not even just like yeah, yeah, magic. exactly. And it was it wasn't you know I think Jeff definitely stands out, but it wasn't just Jeff. There were a lot of other people um, you know like that. That actually sounds really cool because uh, I would imagine that a lot of Magic players, uh, myself included, are not part of scenes where people are that mature and and actually hang out. Kind of, it feels like these are people that you could have a beer with. It's not just like I I, I play Magic with them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's like that's what was appealing to me about Legacy in general. I think like in general, like you you find more of this type of people who are you know more relaxed and like for the most part like legacy is st- it can be competitive but it's still like you're you're not playing it for for the money or, or anything it's just you know you're playing it for the good times for the friendship for the competition so yeah right okay um you had mentioned that you know like like magic's not really a binary thing it's not like okay i'm i'm bad 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 now i'm good you know like there's no like there's no like you just keep getting better as a player as you play more um, but if you could look back, you know, like a few years ago, um, what can you think of? Maybe was there like a turning point or events or particular tournament where you kind of felt like you got on the map, as it were? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, like you had kind of been playing Legacy in the community. Yeah. But was there some particular finish that kind of got you on the map? Because I, I asked this because the first time I think I. I heard about she was actually one of your first articles for Channel Fireball. I think you wrote about Bug Delver or something like that. But yep, yep. yeah, I'm kind of wondering how you made that sort of like gradual ascent into you know like a writer and and someone who got on the map. Yeah, I can, uh, maybe I can think of like four key tournaments so I can tell you the story of these four tournaments sure, yeah. as like sort of milestones in my Magic career. Um, so so the first one was SCG Baltimore. I don't even remember what year it was. Um, I guess it must have been 2013, uh, and then there I didn't. I I got to the very last round and I was paired against uh, BBD, and we were playing. Um, we thought we were playing for like ninth place, but it, in in the end, it actually turned out that we were playing for top eight. Um, so we we played it out. Uh, he was on Storm, I was on Blue White Red Delver, and um, this was one of my first tournaments playing Delver too. Before that, I had played Affinity and I had played Show and Tell. And in my mind, there was this mental block of, oh, like, Delver's for, like, the good players who can, like, do everything well. Like, you should, you should just play show and tell. But then, like, Dan kept winning with it. I was like, all right, you know what? I'll try Delver this time and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I picked it up, and I got so close to making uh, the top eight. Uh, BBD and I drew, and I, I think I was going to, to, like, beat him in, like, the next turn or whatever. Um, but then, like, he wanted the points, and we thought we were playing for uh, for nine, so so we just drew. Uh, he didn't concede to me, and then afterwards we both found out. Oh, I would have uh, if he if he conceded to me, I would have been in top eight, and so that like almost was. Uh, it was really like it. It was weird because it was so upsetting, but also really I was really happy at the same time because I was upset because I didn't get the top eight. But then in my head I was also like, well, I basically sort of got the top eight. Um, <laughs> so that just like kind of like hit me as like, all right, I can do this. Like I can do this. I can do this. Um, so that was one key experience. That's pretty good perspective, man. Because I think for most people, myself included, would be extremely pissed. Maybe you were, but but it sounds like you kind of got over that. Yeah, yeah. And especially now, like I I never get too upset um, at any given tournament. Like I just I feel like I've got gotten my fair share of good luck. So I think you know luck is even in the long run. Like there's no such thing as someone who is like always luckier than someone else like the ultimate thing that come that matters at the end is uh is play skill so it's really just about focusing on what you can and can't control um, and realizing that yeah so what was the what was the second tournament that was kind of a big um so yeah i guess the next tournament would have to be the one you mentioned where i got top 16 out of uh i think it was 16 or 1700 people at grand prix dc and that me that got me a gig writing for channel fireball um so that was sort of the next phase, if you will, because um, I think I did well with that deck at several other tournaments as well. Uh, which deck was that? That was the Bug Delver deck? Um, that was Bug Delver, him to Torok. S- still to this day, it might be my favorite uh, 
deck that I played in Legacy. Nice. Okay, but I mean, in that Grand Prix, were there like, how did you feel? Like top sixteen is pretty pretty darn impressive. I mean, how did you feel in that tournament as you were playing it? I mean, had you played the deck a lot and you just kind of it felt really familiar, or? Yeah, I did practice extensively for it um, and prepared well. And I think it was one of the best decks at the time that nobody else was really playing. Um, in particular, it had like a great matchup against Blue-White-Red Delver um, due to uh, him to Torak and Liliana. The Veil, you kind of just outcarded them. And they're playing like True Name Nemesis, but you had like Golgari Charm and Liliana. So it was, it was just uh, sort of a next level deck. And uh, you know, I'm happy to do really well with it. And I think another key point at the tournament, I beat um, a well-known pro, Eric Froelich, um, like, and I don't know how much you've heard about Eric, but he's known as a pretty salty player, and he was pretty salty when he lost to me. Um, but that felt great because I was like, "Oh yeah, I beat this like pro who is like, you know, like really, really way better than I am at this game." Uh -huh. um, but I was like, "Oh, but I'm better at him than I'm better than him at Legacy," which you know may or may not. <laughs> be true, but I, I felt that at the time. You had the badge uh, of honor, like you bested him in that. Okay. Right. Exactly. So so that happened. That was super exciting, and it was, uh, you know, it sort of just catapulted me to the level where I started writing articles, became a little bit more well-known, like, people started uh, adding me on Facebook and be like, oh, tell me how you sideboard with Bug Delver, like, that kind of deal. So that was cool. Uh, and then the next tournament after that uh, would probably be, like, that, the next tournament was so amazing, was um, the Star City Games New Jersey Open. Oh, yeah, yeah. We with, gotta uh, talk Blue about Red this. Delver. This is, like, I mean, I don't know, maybe to this day, other than that incident, this has got to be, like, the thing that you're most known for, right? <laughs> uh, I would I would put my my next tournament above this, but, but this one was certainly... I mean, this one was the absolute best, just in terms of uh, I, you know, with my friends, like, we built and designed this completely new strategy out of the blue, and not only was it just awesome, but it was literally possibly the best deck in the format for like the coming months until it got banned um so that was kind of just like so crazy that we built this new deck and it was so good um yeah i don't you know got, was you just... gotta talk about this because like i i don't know the full story like you so you guys um i have read somewhere i don't know if this is true or not you gotta tell me if this is true or not um that you were just playing online and then you played somebody who had kind of the idea for what later became this deck and then you developed it into something that was fully fleshed out no so so that's exactly right i was um i actually play a lot on cockatrice not as much anymore but i did used to play a lot and so i would just um you know take random decks and so karsten cotter I guess the genesis of the idea. First, Karsten Cotter wrote an article about um, playing four Treasure Cruise in Delver. And I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of interesting. So I like started messing around with it myself. And then I was playing on Cockatrice um, because this is when the spoiler was released, but the cards hadn't yet come out. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up playing against the guy who was on Blue-Red Delver, and he had the idea. He had he had four Treasure Cruise. He had four Swiss Beer. When I first saw Swiss Beer, I was like, oh, you're fun that's pretty funny. I thought we were playing the good cards in the new set. And he's like, no, this card's insane. I was like, okay. And then he like, I, I don't remember who won or not, but it ended up being like really impressive either way. And I was like, oh, yeah, can I get your list? He's like, yeah, sure. And then we started messaging about it. And then I, and then basically I took the deck. Um, the main deck was, I, I think, like from when I played it and when he showed it to me, it probably didn't change too much. Uh, maybe like four cards at most. Um, and then the sideboard, I helped to refine with um, the Hatfields and my other friends uh, at Curio. So it was like one of these things where the moment you started playing with it, you knew this was the real deal? So yes and no, right? Because I felt it was, you know, super strong. Like, But, you know, at the time, there were so many people who were telling me, Treasure Clues is not playable in Legacy. Like, it's not a good card. Like, it, it's it kind of laughable to think about now. But literally, I had some very strong players uh, who were my friends who told me, like, that card's not good. And I, like, I was like, well, I think it's pretty good. But, like, <laughs> I, I didn't have enough faith in myself and my testing to be like, no, you're dead wrong. You're, I'm going to be laughing at you. Well, you didn't want to be the um, guy who said that um, this would break the format, just like Temporal Mastery would break the format, right? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if it was that as much, but it was. I was just really unsure, and I was like, well, I think it's good. I'm just going to play it and see what happens. Um, and I ended up winning the tournament, which was like, you know, a combination of having a great deck, but also some good luck. 
um, especially in the finals, where my opponent, I think he had like a grizzle brand, and I, I st like this is how good the deck is that my opponent had a grizzle brand, but because I had like treasure cruise in my deck, I was able to draw like six cards and like keep pace with the grizzle brand. Oh jeez. Uh, so <laughs> so yeah, it was just a crazy tournament, and then I think part of the reason why the deck took off so much was it was so damn cheap. Like there were no wastelands. You only had like four blue duels. Um, so it, it was just like really cheap compared to the other legacy decks. So then everybody started playing it. Um, so that's how it just got so big. You, please do continue. You have to talk about like the New Jersey because I mean that 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 was a tournament before New Jersey, right? Where you where you you won that tournament. Yeah. So that was SCG New Jersey, um, and I and I won that tournament with Blue Red Delver. And then it was yeah, like I said, it was crazy how quickly the deck just like took off. And uh, really became like one of the absolute forces in that metagame. Yeah, so that, again, that was SCG Jersey. And then, like, yeah, follow up from that, GP Jersey happened. And then, like, yeah, Blue Red Delver was by far the most played deck in the room. Um, and so then to combat that, we found a deck that was really, really good against Blue Red Delver. I, I believe I played against Blue Red Delver six times in the tournament. I beat Seth Manfield, Ari Lax, just these awesome pros who were on Blue Red Delver. And I was playing Blue White Red Delver. So it was kind of like, it was pretty cool to see, um, you know, I built something really great, and then I, like, really understood it and was able to find a way to beat it as well. And that led me to another uh, top 16 finish uh, at Grand Prix New Jersey. So, um, so yeah, it was kind of like, you know, once I had these, like, subsequent, I don't know, quote-unquote, call it, like, notches on my belt, I felt more and more comfortable with my, um, like, playtesting and deck-building skills. Um so, so yeah, I think like it was just slow increments of building confidence and improving. Yeah, I mean that must have been a huge validation for you. Maybe not validation, but just helping your confidence as a deck builder, right? Like you, you built mm -hmm. basically a deck that was one of the best decks ever in Legacy, other than maybe Hulk Flash. And then, uh, and then, and then you found a way to to counter that because I remember playing in in GP New Jersey and thinking to myself, um, we didn't play, but I was thinking to myself like. I absolutely made a mistake that day by not playing Blue Red Delver. Like, literally, everybody was playing Blue Red Delver. But yet, you found a way. I think you had a spicy brew. Um, did you have, like, counterbalance in the board? I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah, that was, like, the key card to beat. Um, well, there were two key cards. There was Stoneforge Mystic and uh, Countertop. And both of those cards were insane against Blue Red Delver. So, yeah. Yeah, and one thing I, I want to emphasize is, like, um, I think, yeah, like, again, I've been, like super lucky also not not only in terms of my tournament performances and getting lucky in the games but also just in terms of my network so like blue red delver that was i didn't come up with the idea of playing four swiss rear four treasure cruise that was someone else but then i happened to play against them in cockatrice and then I, I sort of took their idea and made some improvements on it and then again this grand Prix new jersey idea um was from my friend james pogue uh, he was like why don't we play like the old trump to uh the delver mirrors it's playing counterbalance in the board and then we tested it, and it was super good. Um, so, again, I, I actually wasn't the first one to come up with these brilliant ideas. Um, I just happened to, you know, be lucky enough to win with them. Yeah, you had people who who helped you, and you, you were exactly. Able to refine and the that's ideas. that's like, yeah, that's one thing that's so important is having a good like uh, like MTG network to like bounce ideas off of, and um, you know, learn things like this. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, so did you have another tournament that you said was uh, very... Yeah, so so I guess maybe maybe I should have counted GP New Jersey because um, that did qualify me for the Pro Tour. Um, but then the, the tournament I had in mind was when I won Eternal Weekend. Um, that made me happy for months and still makes me giddy just thinking about it that I'm like the legacy champion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's the official title, right? Like you're that's, that's pretty good. I mean, how tell me how that tournament went down for you? Uh, so that I guess that tournament was totally different because I didn't prepare for it. <laughs> I just got really lucky in other ways. Um so wow, okay, I guess we need to go back a little bit um for some context. I don't know how involved with the like out greater MTG community you are outside of um Legacy, but so I had actually been taking a hiatus. I, I quote-unquote boycotted Magic um, for a few months um, because Wizards of the Coast banned one of my good friends. Um, so, so sorry, to, to go back one step further. So Dan and Co., um, we were up in uh, Northern Virginia, 
for work, I was relocated down to uh, Richmond, Virginia, which is more in the south. Yeah. Um, so I had moved there, and then there I befriended a certain uh, Zach Jesse, and then he was recently um, like basically just banned from playing, not for like cheating or anything like that, but because um, a story came out where um, he was uh, he uh, back in college, I think he raped somebody, and then like this call this story came out, and then Wizards like. I think they just didn't want the um, bad publicity because Zach was an insanely talented magic player, like one of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they did they didn't want him to, uh, you know, because uh, he top did like two GPs in a row basically, and then they like he'd already been to like so many pro tours, um, but they didn't want him to like have a breakout finish, and then have like the headline be like, oh like. Uh, former rapist wins like Magic the Gathering Pro Tour or something like that. So I, I think they were basically doing um, a little bit of PR control, and they banned him for life. Um, for, not for again, not for any Magic reason, but because he had this past um, as a violent offender. Um, and I was just so upset because to me, I mean, Zach was just an amazing friend, and I, I truly believe that like you know, in society, we need to give people the chance to change um, because if you don't there's there's a certain word for that it's called recidivism where like you know a lot of criminals once they're released out into the world you know what happens they, they like become criminals again they end up back in jail and like we need to find a path for these people to be reintegrated into society and give them a chance and this was just such I'm sorry such fucking bullshit that they banned him mm-hmm. um, not giving him a chance and like it's, it was just so upsetting to me that I, I quit Magic for a few months. I mean, this is kind of like, it doesn't have, he did something that he, I, I'm going to guess that he he owned up to, but the fact is, it's got also nothing to do with Magic, right? It's got nothing, it's, it's got nothing to do with his Magic career or his skill, right? It's just something entirely yeah, different. Yeah, and I mean, part of it was also in the communication. They didn't say anything. They were just like, they had some very like blanket, oh, like community members felt threatened and so we chose to take action, something, something like that. They didn't like go out and lay out a policy, such as like, uh, we are going to, you know, let's say we're going to ban all sex offenders, which you know may or may not be a good policy position, but at least that's a fucking policy position, mm-hmm. you know? Like mm-hmm. they come out and say it. Instead, it was just this shady, like, oh, like, you know, it was almost like, well, if you have uh, some sort of like criminal history, like, like watch out, like. Don't get too good, otherwise, if people like rat it out and bring it out into the open, then you know we might ban you. Like it was, it was just a huge shit show. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just, I just, I mean, I wasn't very close to the issue. I remember reading about it at the time, but I there's two things that come to mind for me. One is like just the lack of transparency, right? There's just no, there's no, um, there's no formal reasoning for why he was not playing. And the other issue I have with this is now listening to it, to you describe it is really. The uh, slippery slope. It's like um, if if someone can just get muzzled or blacklisted from playing a magic, what's to stop um, someone else in the future for doing something more major, less major, more or less severe from getting the same treatment? It's kind of a slippery slope if 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 you look at it, right? Yeah, and I, again, like if they come out with a policy that that like for example, sex offenders will not be allowed to play because other players feel unsafe. I think that's very like I think that's defensible. Like I I maybe would still take issue with it, but but it would be like, you know, I it would be a policy and I, I would be like, okay, I still I disagree, but I respect your opinion. But this what they did was, you know, totally horrible. And like, you know, just to add to that, like Zach was one of the f- most friendly people I knew. Like literally he was like you know, like I I often think of myself as like, wow, I actually don't love the game of magic. I like often play it just uh, just to compete, just to win, and it gets tiring, it's a grind sometime. Zach was the total opposite. He loved playing Magic. Every Pro Tour, he would like bring an EDH deck and just like find random people to play with, and he was just so friendly and you know good to the Richmond community that everybody like really saw him as an awesome leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really think he like learned a lot from you know his past experiences and like became a better person. And the fact that he like was just completely shut out from that was it was very upsetting um but yeah i see so you 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 were not happy with that decision that wizards made you decided to take um uh a boycott essentially right and then was there something yeah that's that... what i that's what i called it because i was so upset 
in the heat of the moment um, that I, I took a break from Magic um, for, I think it was, like, a few months. And then, like, I don't know, little by little, like, I... So I, I did play again. Um, uh, Eternal Weekend was my first tournament in months. I did play again, and it was because, like, it was clear that Wizards wasn't going to do anything um, to, like, amend the situation. And I still had so many friends who played. Um, so, I don't know. I, I guess I kind of gave in, I, I suppose. Well, I mean, you made a choice, which is which is rational, right? Like, you have to decide, do you, do you enjoy the game enough and the community enough to, to keep playing and in the aggregate because nothing in life is like black or white so it, it sounds like you made a decision that yes you will continue despite uh, some of your reservations right yeah yeah I'm, I'm not super happy with Wizards of the Coast right now but um, yeah and, and I mean I scaled back my magic playing too um, so yeah really switching gears now um, yeah so the tournament was, was funny like I, I hit up one of my friends, uh, Dylan Donegan. I was like, hey, yeah, I saw you like top aided with this Grixis Delver deck. Like, how good is it? Like, he's like, oh, Bob, you should just double play it. It's super good. Just literally play my list. And I took his list, uh, which I never do. I always like think in my head, like, oh, I'm gonna like make this list better and like change all these things. But no, I literally just took his list. I changed one card. I changed exactly one card, and I was like, all right, uh, I like playing this card. Let's try it. And then I, I got into it, um, and round literally round one, I think I play against, uh, I forget if it's Grixis Deliver or Grixis Control, but it goes, the game goes super long, and I, like, I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm going to win it. Oh, well, like, I'm just here for fun, I guess. <laughs> um, and then, and then on, like, I think it was like turn four or five of extra turns, I drew the card that I put in. Um, so he had, he had Sulfuric Vortex in the 15th slot. Um, and I had, is it Staticaster? Yeah. I drew the card, and he had a board full of, uh, like, elemental tokens for blocking. And I played the, is it Staticaster, killed all those tokens, and then attacked for the win on turn four of extra turns. Right. And then, like, even, like, that was the first match. That was, like, the turning point. The rest of it was kind of just smooth sailing from there. Um, and it was just so crazy that I won the tournament. I was so happy because I came, went there with some of my best friends. Um... And it was just like a surreal experience, really, because you just don't expect to win a tournament so big and so important. And also, the first prize was incredible. It was, uh, you know, a painting of a tundra. Um, so it was, it was just, I was just so floored, and you know, it was just an incredible experience. Yeah, you seemed really excited just by um, the the photos. Like you looked like you had a very, very large smile on your face as they were taking photos of mm -hmm. you. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely one of the best days of my life. Nice, nice. So, I mean, uh, and you're looking to defend your title this year, right? Yeah, I wanna, I wanna make the trip out to Columbus this time, and we'll see how it goes. All right. So, I mean, it 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 seems like most of the like you just recounted four or five tournaments, and they're all sort of legacy related. So, I mean, at, at this point, you're sort of uh, it's it's it seems like it's the format you're the most skilled in, right? Other, but I don't know. Maybe you can talk about. Um, yeah, no, no, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and so yeah, maybe I'll get into this, but basically I consciously made the choice recently to, uh, in many ways, give up on competitive magic. I decided to only focus on legacy because I know I have some of my strengths there, um, and I know the format really well. And so the reason I'm giving up on competitive magic is because there's other parts of my life I, f I find uh, are lacking that I want to work on. And I was just so addicted to magic for like two whole years. I related to so many things that you uh, that you wrote about, and uh, you know that's why I was really excited about this interview. And so like I just I just need I need magic in my life. I love it. I love competing, but it needs to not be the only thing in my life. Um, so I'm trying to find more of a balance. And I like come to the realization like I only have a finite amount of time, and so I'm gonna and when I go play in a tournament like I'm not there to like mess around like I want to win mm -hmm. so I think like this is the best path for me um, to sort of you know have that life balance while also being able to compete um, so I've given up on on modern and standard and I think like I don't I honestly don't think I'm talented at all like I, I think I did do decently in some of these formats because I put in the work uh, <laughs> but I no longer want to put in the work so I've, I've come to terms with that I don't expect to do you know nearly as well as I have done in the past um, so I'm just, you know, 
taking it as it is. Let's let's talk about this for a sec. Um, first of all, I think you're being very humble when you say that you're not that good of a player because clearly the results show that you you are. Maybe you put in a lot of practice, a lot of hard work, but the fact is there are a lot of uh, scrubs like myself who put in the work and still didn't get there. So I think I think first of all I think you're you're kind of underselling yourself. Um, but the second thing I want to ask you is, uh, I mean, how much time did you put into magic in the past? Like, was it basically your life? And you you did you feel like parts of your life or personal or otherwise professional were kind of suffering as a result of focusing on magic? Yeah. So, so in many ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, can't deny that at all. Um, so in terms of like my professional life, I would put it this way. I, I always grew up like being told like, "Oh, you need to work hard. Oh, you need like you need to go work hard to get in good college. Once you're in college, work hard, get a good job, go to Wall Street, make a ton of money." But like at some point, I'm just like, "When does the rat race end?" And so I sort of kind of gave up on that. Um, so I kind of just let my work life, you know, be as it is. I didn't really try hard. Because um, I, I worked in investment banking, and the hours, let me tell you, just getting out of the office and it's daylight of the next day, I just couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had given up on that aspect of my life. And so, like, because I was such a competitive person, though, like, I, I looked for another outlet. And so Magic ended up being my outlet. And because I had these tournament success and did well with it, like, like I said, it just kept snowballing. And I, I almost used it as a form of, like, validation for myself. And I think that's. I mean, it, it, it's, it is what it is. It, it can be good. It can be bad. Um, so I don't know. Like I'm trying to trying to move to the next level. Um, still not quite got it figured out yet, but we'll see. So is that kind of the reason why you took your 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 trip recently? Like it was. Yeah, yeah, months, exactly. Right? It was like it was like I still felt like um, I mean, magic wasn't the, like getting a break from magic wasn't the only reason, but it was a big reason I wanted to do the trip. And then the other the other big reason was obviously just uh, you know I just love traveling I love meeting people understanding them understanding their stories much like you I guess um, and so for me that was just like a once in a lifetime um, opportunity I don't know in the future if I'll have that chance again so when I saw the saw the chance I went for it um, yeah what was it like I mean obviously I, I saw some of your Facebook posts but I mean can you mm-hmm. describe to people like what it's like to actually do a two and a half month backpacking trip, like and a mm-hmm. part of the world that you you don't you're not normally in. Like what what is mm-hmm. like what's what's it like and what did it help you learn, if anything? Yeah, I mean, I learned so much. Um, I think the, the I learned so many takeaways, but I think the biggest takeaway was that really like everybody's on their own journey, on their own spiritual path, if you will. Um, there's just so many different ways that you can live this life, like. I was always so locked into the quote unquote the type A lifestyle um, that I didn't see that there was so much more out there. And because I met so many people, you know, who were like farmers um, who were really, really happy with, you know, where they were. And just, uh, you know, understanding that, that you don't necessarily need to be like quote unquote like successful or seen as successful by society to really, you know, feel that gratitude, feel happy, um, and, you know, live a good life. So I think that was my main takeaway, and it was just so interesting, like seeing new experiences. Like I, I learned how to scuba dive, which was extremely challenging at first, but then I obviously absolutely loved it because um, it's kind of just like it's kind of like being in nature with the animals. It's way cooler than being in a zoo. Um, I, you know, did a lot of like mountain climbing. I climbed an active volcano. Um, I just met so many amazing travelers, learned their stories. That it was just like. It, it really made me think bit, again on how I'm living my life and uh, I just see that there's so many more possibilities out there like I can I, I can do whatever I want I just need to figure out exactly what it is that I want um, so I'm still I'm still working on that phase right and can you recall like were there specific moments or conversations you had with people that made you feel a sense of gratitude because you, you you mentioned that like being feeling more grateful or, or having a sense of gratitude like was, was there a- yeah, yeah you know that's such an interesting thing because uh it's it's not it's, it's a curious thing gratitude um you know sometimes people might say oh like happy people are, are grateful but in many ways, it can be the other way around, or at least it is for me. Once I realized how absurdly lucky I was, you know, my parents grew up in small rural villages in China, 
and if they hadn't studied hard and left and made it to the U.S., I would probably be a poor villager in China with, with you know, a, a very like limited options as to what I could do for my future. But instead, you know, I came to the U.S. I went to an Ivy League school. Um, you know, I have the uh, like brains to pretty much do whatever I want. So I like, you know, I just feel so grateful for the opportunities that I've been afforded, um, and that has really, you know, made me carpe diem almost seize the day. Like just be not afraid and go for what I want like if I'm looking for something like just fucking go for it you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's a great observation uh, I'm also wondering on the flip side of it did you encounter people who were quote unquote less fortunate than, than we are but they can still feel, oh, yeah, tons, feel grateful like almost, and happy and all yeah. that kind of thing yeah yeah well okay so yeah almost uh, I mean almost all the people all the locals that I met um would would be very jealous of uh, you know like being able to like live in the U.S. Um, so I mean that was definitely really touching. But just learning a lot of their stories too, um, yeah, it's just it gives such a good sense of perspective on like where you are in the world that I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I'm already like you know making musings about my next big trip. So um, yeah, I really hope to keep it as part of my life going forward. I see, um, and. Are you naturally an adventurous person? Because you had mentioned like scuba diving and and climbing near an active volcano. <laughs> These are things that are are uh, are not like easily done by by a lot of people. Like, is that just something in your in your personality, or did you have to like uh, did you did you confront yourself to do that? I'm just kind of wondering. What, um, what it was like. interesting question. You know, you wouldn't guess it because for the most part, um, I'm I'm. It's weird. I, I think there's almost a couple different sides of myself. Like, I, I mean, that's true for everybody, I guess. But there's a certain aspect of myself that really longs for that adventure, like to do something exciting, special, um, and out of the ordinary. But then there's another aspect of myself who is, you know, happy li- living the day to day and just being comfortable. So, like, I really, I, I enjoy both, I guess. Okay, that's good. Um, and now that you've had that chance, which sounds like the adventure of a lifetime, and, and it sounds like you're going to probably try to do something again like this in the future, um, do, do, do you feel a noticeably different like before and after Bob Huang when you, like before and after the trip now? So I do. I don't think it's in any, like, any way that I can necessarily put my finger on. Oh, I was like this before. Oh, I'm like this now. But it's it's... Again, like life is a journey. It's, it's much like I was talking about as improving, improving as a magic player. It comes in little increments. I think like going on this trip pushed um, like certain realizations harder. Um, so I think I might have advanced through them a little bit quicker. But uh, I don't necessarily feel like I'm a different person. I just again I have that wider sense of gratitude and perspective. Um, and so you know I try to bring that to to my magic game and other aspects of my life as well. I'm also wondering if, like, after you've come back, I mean, did did your family and friends notice anything different about you in terms of, like, hey, Bob, I noticed that you're 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 a little bit different now, or or like, because sometimes it's hard to see yourself. But I mean, do do you think other people see you differently after after this, or? Well, um, yeah, I don't know. I've only been back like a month, so right. Uh, I I don't know if I can really answer that yet. Um. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like things are too different. Maybe I did surprise some people by going on that trip, but mm, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay, that's that's fair. Uh, so now that you've come back and uh, back in North America, like when when do you think you're going to be doing another another trip? Or is it is it like a, a few years from now? Is it like really soon? I'm just just curious. Yeah, I guess it would probably have to be like a couple more years um, because actually you know I talked about how I wasn't career focused um, now I, I am somewhat career focused I found a new role that I'm really engaged in so my, my next uh, two year goal is at least going to be to do well in my job get promoted um, and that'll you know hopefully afford me the freedom like if I decide to move on I hopefully be able to find a job more easily so yeah I don't know I'm, I'm focusing on like my professional development um, for the next year or so Okay. So I, I don't know what my next tri- big trip is going to be. I just know that I that I want to take one. Right. Um, I, I'm also wondering, like, maybe it's not this uh, trip specifically, but you had touched on it in kind of our um, our, our talks before. Is um, 
does it change your interactions or relationships with people now that you've had this experience? Like having gratitude or having certain learnings about yourself, does it also change the way you interact with your family, with your friends, with a loved one? Like I'm just I'm just wondering if you feel any difference there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say the biggest one is is my relationship with my dad. I, I talked briefly about how you know he was very hard on me as a kid, but now it's just like. I I kind of have have seen past that almost. Um, obviously, you know I, I know that he wants the best for me, um, but for him, um, hap- quote unquote happiness is is leading a quote unquote successful life, making a lot of money, um, and for him like that's what matters. And for me, I just realized like for my, it's it's not what matters to me. Like I have other goals that I want to focus on. Um, so like. Basically, just seeing how so many different people like chose a different path than the the straight path like to success um, has given me more freedom, basically, and and now I'm definitely going to go my own way. Right. Is your dad? Do you think he's uh, understood that a little bit more over the years, or? Uh... No, I think he's still really struggling with it because, I mean, it's just like he grew up in a small rural village, and like this is what he knows. Um, and it's it, uh, everybody's almost in an, their own prison in, inside their head in in so many ways. Like, you know, you just don't realize what's possible. You just you put constraints on yourself. You you have these ideas for quote unquote how society should be and how quote unquote things should work um, and quote unquote how life should be lived. That like these ways of thinking like can really like just narrow you down. And he's very just he's disappointed in me that like I, I don't seem to be um, as focused on material wealth or like material success as he is um, but like you know I don't I don't know that I can really change that about him so I kind of just need to go my own way and hopefully one day he'll accept it right so what does it mean to you to be quote-unquote successful or uh, fulfilled I'm, I'm, everyone has a different definition. I'm, I'm really exactly like that's that's the thing. Everybody has their own definition, and for for some people, like you know, being successful doesn't even matter, which is also totally fine. Mm-hmm. You just need to really come to terms with yourself and what you want in life, and then just not make any bullshit excuses for yourself and really go after that. Like that's one approach I have to magic as well. Is that like I never make excuses, or I try not to make excuses because. Um, you know, like, no matter, one one big lesson I learned from magic is, like, no matter how well you do something, there's always something you can do better and improve upon. Like, so many so many pros have said this, that they, like, they don't feel like they're good players at all. They feel like they make a lot of mistakes. And honestly, it's just straight true. Like, even the best players in the world make mistakes, but theirs are just on a magnitude lower than the rest of us. Um, so, 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 yeah, tying back to the original question, it's just that, like, there's always, you know, something people can do better. And so that's like one philosophy I have for myself is just not to make excuses for myself. And um, and so <laughs> still going back to your question, which is like, how do I define success? Um, so for me, I'm still figuring it out. Um, obviously, like, I don't know. For me, I think like the next big steps in my life um, are like, you know, I haven't been in a serious relationship in a long time. Um, and that was because I was like, almost like mildly depressed after my last one um so i i don't know like that's one thing i'm focused on like hopefully knock on wood if it works out like i'm definitely interested in like meeting someone and like mm-hmm. you know having that serious relationship so i don't know there's just like a couple different aspects of my life but really like the other thing is like you know in those two years where i was i was super addicted to magic i like wasn't really going out that much and my, my life was kind of one-dimensional like now it's it's much better i like i have a lot of friends who are like outside of the magic community and then like we do other fun stuff like we go hiking rafting we go out to bars um i just went to my first uh music festival earlier this year and i loved it and i plan on going to like a festival every year mm-hmm. um but yeah really really just like broadening other aspects of my life just experiences so, it sounds like yeah exactly just life experiences so that's what matters to me i see and so i guess success to me is like you know, understanding my limitations, trying to overcome some of them, um, and try to set like small goals for myself and ex- experience as many like interesting, unique, fun things as I want to go for. Yeah, um, 
you touched on something, um, and I'm not sure if you feel comfortable talking about it, but just you, you said that you were mildly depressed at a certain point in time. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and kind of what what happened there and how you got out of it, just in case there's listeners who um, who may be feeling something similar, because I think a lot of us go through ups and downs in, in life. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm definitely happy to talk about that. So, so I, actually, this was in Paris, right? Um, 2011, and that was, I guess, another reason. Maybe I didn't know it at the time, and I guess maybe I didn't really go into magic as a reason, but uh, to uh, like take my thoughts off things. But it is what it ended up doing, um, which was like I just got out of a messy relationship, and so like I was not feeling good. I, like there were just things I weren't in, like I wasn't really enjoying anything um, out of my day. Um, despite the fact that I was in like Paris of all cities, which is one of the most amazing cities in the world. Um, so then I was like, you know, I used to play magic, like, oh, I guess there's a bunch of stores, like, all right, you know what, I'll go I'll go out and play. And so that then it was kind of like I traded um, like my mild depression in some ways for this mild addiction or strong addiction. Um, so yeah, I don't know, that's <laughs> I guess another thing thinking back, like, I think that's probably what happened. Do you ever think about I ask because I think about it sometimes like you know how life has these sort of forks in the road and and your life ends up being very different depending on one butterfly effect or like you walked into the gaming store and then you ended up playing like five years of competitive magic after that like things Mm -hmm. one thing follows another do you ever think about things like that and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna actually label it regret but but just like magic's obviously done a lot of good for you as well but I mean do you think about forks in the road and how you could have like done things differently or made a different choice at different points in your life yeah so I think I definitely there's a word for that um well it it doesn't necessarily encompass that specifically but the word is uh like ruminate rumination um and it's where you just like endlessly like think about things in the past that you like maybe could have done better or things that you regret and I think I definitely used to have that sort of a habit where I'd be like, oh, why did I like say this and this and like I lost a friend because of that or or whatever, what have you. Um, but I, I don't know, I guess I just don't know how, but I've somehow like I don't really do that as much anymore. I just accept things as they are and I'm just I'm way more at peace with myself um, and just happier. So I try, I guess I don't even know that I because it's not something that you can like try to do or not to do. It's just who you are if you if you ruminate a lot. And I, I think I used to, and I think I don't anymore. And again, that still ties back to you know being grateful for for where I am right now, having that wider perspective on how other people in the world are living. Um, so so really, I guess uh, I don't do it as much anymore. So that's good. I think just from talking to you. In this little bit of time, I, I I get the sense that you've matured a lot, you've grown a lot, you 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 have a level of self awareness which not not everyone has. I I am wondering if there's specific like people you ha- you hung out with or conversations that kind of unlocked all this. Like was or was it just something that you had always felt, but you just kind of looked deeper into yourself, or was it like was it a combination of these things? Was it something else? I'm I'm trying mm-hmm. to understand like how how you made these kind of um, the conscious decision to to kind of re-examine your life because I, 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 I can imagine someone else might end up playing like I, I played 10-15 years of magic without even thinking about this stuff and you're you're way ahead of the curve uh, of a lot of people so I'm just kind of wondering how you, you managed to do that you know yeah I don't know well it was more just like you know so, so winning at magic was super satisfying but then like because you're winning at magic so more. it's like you, you seem like even you, you you know, it's like you said that you're taking less time away from magic, so it's interrupt. But it's like, if I were in your position, I wouldn't even. I would keep playing magic because like I'm I'm winning, right? So it's like, why stop? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So it's almost as though like it's not that like winning became standard or anything at all. All, but it was more just like I was doing well in magic, but then I still wasn't fulfilling these other aspects of my life. And I think moving to Richmond. Um, was really great because I, I lived with two roommates uh, outside of the magic community and they were just like the most outgoing, like in many ways just wild and crazy people um, that I, I never would have met like 
um, otherwise, and we just happened to be roommates together. And I think for the first six months or so, like I still was in my little shell a little bit. Um, didn't ha- didn't hang out with them as much. But then I was like, you know what? Like, um, I'm gonna take a hiatus from Magic. Or the timing, like that was the timing. I took a hiatus from Magic. I started hanging out with these two roommates more. Um, and going out more, and I think like they really opened my eyes up to like you know there's other things in life other than this card game, um, so like that definitely helped. Um, just having conversations with, uh, you know, like on my travels, having some conversations with other people, um, just on how they lived their life and how they like saw through things and like went through their own sorts of like family troubles or heartbreak or or what have you. Just learning all these stories really. Uh, I've I've been really fortunate to learn so many of these stories from so many different people, um, so that maybe has uh you know given me the chance to quote unquote like break out of uh break out of like any given pattern um, and just doing like you know magic 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 or whatever. Yeah, that's great, man. You know, I I, I wish you the best. I, I feel like you've got uh, a bright future ahead of you. You've got um, a, a lot of uh, great perspective and. The, the thing I loved about this conversation is that we didn't really... We were talking about magic, but we weren't talking about magic, which is <laughs> really the ideal outcome, you know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, just to sort of, like, uh, wrap things up, I was wondering if you had any shout-outs or anything you wanted to mention that maybe any people or any things that you wanted to mention that maybe we didn't get a chance to touch on. I'm trying to think. Yeah, so many people to, to call out. So there have been so many, like... So this is magic focus. so I'll, I'll focus on the magic communities that have really helped me out. So I mentioned um, the community in Paris, and then there was also the community in London. Um, all of them were just such great people um, who really, like, that was when I first started complain- playing competitively. So you guys are all awesome. And then obviously, you know, I talk nonstop about all the Nova people, and it's kind of sad because all the Curio people, like the Hatfields, like, they still play a little bit, but they only, like, they don't come every week now, so it's, it's changed a lot. Um, but definitely shout out to that crew, um, the Pogues, James Pogue, Kemper Pogue, Sean Park. Um, these are the people I still go to all the tournaments with. Uh, my current roommate, Anurag Das. Yeah, all of you have just been like such great people. Um, oh, I can't forget the Boston crowd too. Um, so sometimes I still play when I go home. So that's Keith, Jerry, all the Leaving a Legacy um, community and podcast. You guys are all awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I didn't that's know you it. knew those guys. Yeah, those guys are great. <laughs> yeah, it's a small world. Yeah, I mean, uh, what about like non-magic shoutouts? It doesn't have to be all magic. Like, are there? Feel free to do that as well if you if you wish. Definitely shout out to my my old roommates who I mentioned, Yoni and Steven. I'll try to get them to listen to this if they're interested. Um, uh, and there's let's see who else are my mentors. I would say shout out to Mark Wythe over in the UK. Um, I had some some of these deep conversations like that I sort of relayed to you, like I had first with Mark when we were traveling together for two weeks in Myanmar. Um, so, so yeah, definitely shout out to Mark. Uh, uh, I think that's, I think that's good for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. I've been putting you on the spot like nonstop for, for about an hour here, but, uh, but again, thank you so much, Bob, for, for doing this. Um, I had a great time talking to you. I hope you, you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it was definitely my pleasure, James, and uh, best of luck to you as well. Yeah, thanks, man, and uh, hopefully talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Humans of Magic. If you have any comments or feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter, at Humans of Magic, or at James underscore HSU. Please also check out my website if you have the time. It's called writtenbyjames.com. That's writtenbyjames.com. I thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time.